NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Welcome, listeners. This is NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. Uh, Today is February 10th, and we're talking with amazing colleagues with clear eyes and full hearts. They are all guests I've interviewed before, but not together, and I'm so excited to get this conversation started. I'm your host, Tanya Baker, at the NWP in Berkeley, California. Today, I am pleased to welcome Robert Shetterly, Connie Carter, and Richard Cook, and I'm going to start by asking each of them to introduce themselves to you. So Robert, Connie, and Richard, I'm going to ask us that you tell us your name, where in the world you are right now, and what you do for work. Then, before after you've given us that sort of very basic introduction, I would love, because I listened to poet Sarah Kay uh, this week in a TED Talk, and she inspired me to ask you this question. Uh, Tell me one thing that you know to be true. That's your name. Where are you? What do you do? And what's one thing you know to be true? And I'm going to start with you, Robert. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you for inviting me to be on this program with Richard and Connie. Um, My name is Robert Shetterly. I live in Brooksville, Maine, which is a little town on the coast of Maine. I live on a just up above a saltwater estuary that is a tidal estuary. And I'm a a self-taught artist. I've been living in in this area for a little over 50 years uh, as a painter and an activist. And uh, one thing that I think think is true, I'm gonna say something kind of heavy because when I was thinking of this, it, it seems that at this moment, saying a true thing is an important thing. Uh, and a lot of the, the basis of the Project Americans Who Tell the Truth, which Connie and I work on, it kind of begins with the, the, the idea that when uh, Europeans came to this continent, they came, unfortunately, with an idea of, of domination, mm-hmm. of profit and exploitation. And those things have caused enormous havoc um, with our society, with the environment, with the climate, with our ethical being in the world. Mm -hmm. And our project, uh, Americans Who Tell the Truth, is in a ways reflection of that in an attempt to try to understand what you do when something that has been the basis for a lot of the way you live is false. Mm -hmm. And you have to try to correct it. And that's what Americans Who Tell the Truth tries to do. Thank you, Robert. That's gr- that's a really great introduction to our whole show and to you for our audience. So thank you. Uh, Richard, would you like to go next? Thank you, Tanya. Well, I'm just delighted to be here with Robert and Connie. And if you don't know Robert and Connie's work at a- uh, Americans who, AWTT, Americans Who Tell the Truth, uh, please go there right after this radio show. I just have such admiration for their work. But I'm Richard Cook. Um, I grew up in the Writing Project. I've been associated with the National Writing Project for over 30 years. I was the director of a site in Michigan called uh, the Southeast Michigan Writing Project. 
work at the University of Pittsburgh. I don't work at the University of Pittsburgh, but I work with the Western Pennsylvania Writing Project uh, at these days. Um, I taught uh, writing and the teaching of writing at the University of Iowa and at Adrian College, Michigan. Um, and um, I'm delighted to be here, as I said, and I guess if I were going to tell something that I know to be true, I'm so glad for the way you uh, launched that, uh, Robert, because mine is, I don't know if it's heavy, but it's, uh, it has a little bit of a teacherish quality to it. Um, the mystics teach us that humility is not just a concept, it is a pathway. And, and as we talk about what we're going to uh, teaching issues today. I, I, I'm hoping that we'll also think about how we relate to each individual student. And humility is a pathway because if we can attach ourselves to being humble, we do not rush to judgment. We realize we need to know more than we know. And it also helps us to be curious because that's the natural next step if we feel like we need to know something. And if you can think of that student who is troublesome and not and think about not judging that student, becoming curious about that student, uh, I, I believe that that can open up possibilities. That's what opens up possibilities if we're curious uh, about that student. Uh, Thomas Hubel, who is a modern mystic says, curiosity is the voice of the soul. Absolutely, Richard, thank you. I hope I don't call you each the wrong name today. <laughs> Bear with me. Uh, Connie, it's your turn, please. Thank you, Tanya, and it's great to be here. Richard, it's wonderful to meet you, and Rob, always wonderful to spend time with you. Um, it's a big question for somebody who works with Americans who tell the truth, actually. <laughs> right. Um, but as I thought about it, um, and my name is Connie Carter. I live in Orno, Maine, um, but I'm currently in Mexico, on the Gulf of Mexico, having a little bit of break from winter weather. And I am the education director for Americans who tell the truth. So my big job is to, um, share this wonderful resource with as many students and educators and communities as possible, because it is, I think, a beacon of hope right now in our society. Um, and I love being able to kind of work towards sharing it. I think as I thought about something that I know to be true, um, I thought about this is something that I've believed as a lifelong educator and probably as a lifelong human, that somewhere down in the core of our being, everybody is good. And our job is to work through all of the layers that are, um, that life has brought on people to kind of expose that little seed of human potential that allows them to go ahead and work for the common good, to be the good human that they really are. And sometimes that's a lot of work and it takes you know, tremendous persistence to kind of work through a lot of those layers. But I think if we can try to do that, it's sort of a little bit of what you said, Richard, that you know, being curious or being um, willing to think about how can I kind of get to that person so that they see in themselves the potential to do good. Also, so lovely. I feel like before we go on to the content, it's um, 
it might be, though I don't usually do this, I should introduce myself by saying um, that I'm Tanya Baker, I already said that, and that I work at the National Writing Project, which is um, an honor and a blessing in my life, and um, that I feel like I just have to announce before we go any further that I grew up in Maine and in the writing project. So um, these things connect me, I think, deeply to all three of you and the work that you do. Um, I could, I have told Robert before, whenever he describes where he lives, I just get so homesick. I'm not always homesick because I also live in the beautiful state of California now, but Brooksville is a particularly beautiful place and near where my grandparents lived when I was a kid. And um, so when he describes it, I'm always like, oh yeah, I really want to go home. <laughs> uh, and I think between growing up in the writing in Maine and the writing project, the two things that I know to be true are that um, the company that you keep really matters and the work that you do really matters. And if you show up with good people to do work, to make the place around you a little better than you found it, then I mean, that's about all you can want from a life, I think. So I'm really honored to be here with other people who, with whom I share so many uh, beliefs and places and experiences. Um, in, I'm going to jump into the work I that you all do, that's so, uh, I think is so important. And as Connie said, in this particular time and place, especially important. Um, I'm going to start by asking you a a big question to frame the work that you do that we're going to look at. And that is, um, in September of last year, the New York Times invited a number of people to weigh in about the purpose of education and published a multi-voiced opinion piece entitled, What is School For? And I thought we might just start our discussion today by each weighing in on this question. What, in your opinion, is school for? Connie, we'll start with you this time. When I thought about this question, I went immediately to the main learning results and the guiding principles, which sometimes get lost as we go forward. But I think whoever wrote those was pretty brilliant when they started saying, this is how, this is what should guide education in Maine, at least. And um, so I'm going to kind of paraphrase some of them. But basically, I think schools should um, create some self-directed and lifelong learners who are looking for the truth and kind of don't give up until they find it and should be also creative and practical problem solvers and that schools should help students become caring and responsible and involved citizens and able to integrate um, knowledge and ideas across many disciplines. So that's a lot of big ideas, but um, I think all of those things are really critical in, in schools today and important that we don't lose those ideas as we think about, oh, am I meeting this standard for social studies or this standard for English? That if we, if we meet standards and don't address those big concepts, we've right. lost. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you, Connie. And Richard, would you like to build on that? Sure. Well, first of all, I appreciate that you walked us through some of that, Connie, because I, I certainly agree with all of it. 
and those must be guiding principles. If those, if we can't recognize our work as relating to those principles, then then we should be changing our work for sure. Um, yeah, and uh, I thought about this, of course, as well, since you since you uh, shared it with us, Tanya. And I guess I think of three things that I think school should be, or the purpose of school should be. And the first one I think is we should have an environment and a climate and a way of working at school, a way of being together at school that unleashes student creativity. Uh, and, and as you know, Tanya, I work in trauma-informed practices and mindfulness practices. And I think that those are those are some of the, the helpers. But the way we respond to students, and I was suggesting this with the humility um, um, discussion for a moment also, I think the way we respond to students has to do with whether we're going to make them feel safe or not. And if we can make them feel safe enough, their creativity will emerge. And I, and I think of what Robert was talking about at the start of this program about the state of the world, with which I also agree and which uh, you know, concerns me so greatly. And I really think the only solution for the almost overwhelming problems today is within our students' creativity. If we can unleash their creativity, we might solve the problem. So that's one. And the second one relates more directly to what Connie was saying. I think we need to offer them uh, opportunities that are really a lot like what John Dewey wanted us to offer. And he talked about that what, what they're doing in school should be life itself. They should be having whole experiences that are participating in life and asking you to be to think about it and observe about it and and to see the significance in it and to know that when we're doing that they're also learning for how to be in their future uh, and so i would say these these uh these types of invitations are a call to the conscience or a call to the kindness in the person um, and the third thing, I think, is just a principle that it is so urgent and important for us to teach, which is about diversity and difference. Mm -hmm. I think it should be fundamental in the classroom and fundamental in our work that diversity and difference are not to be feared because, in fact, they contribute to abundance. Diversity and difference are what help us achieve abundance. Those are my principles. That's lovely, Richard. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've heard you say that exactly that way, that last principle. I really appreciate it. Uh, Robert. Oh, Robert, you're muted, I think. Thank you, Connie and Richard. I'm, I'm not sure uh, how to build on that exactly, uh, but I, I will say that when I first saw that question, what is school for? Uh, well, I'm an artist, and the, suddenly the image I had in my head is a great uh, Van Gogh mural, I mean, not Van Gogh, Gauguin mural, which is in the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, the one that is titled, you know, where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? And I think that in, in some important way, that's what school's for, is to, from the very largest cosmological sense, you know, to begin to define the identity and the place of, of students to help them understand, you know, where they've come from, who they are, and where we can be going. And I think that last part is so dependent on the time you live in. I mean, the school, you know, if we were to answer this question 
50 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago, we get very different answers. And, and that doesn't mean they wouldn't be correct. They would be correct answers for that time. But I think it's very important to know that time you're living in and know what school should be for then because it changes. And at this moment, given the uh, urgency of some of the issues that are going on in the world, um, the racial issues, the, um, you know, the diversity issues, the, the environmental and climate issues, uh, we have to be educating young people to, as Richard said, unleash their creativity to solve those problems, to be able to solve those problems if they want to continue to live on this planet in a healthy and sustainable way. Mm -hmm. And so we need to provide the, uh, the moral, the intellectual, and the technical training that allows that creativity to work uh, and to be effective. And so I think that at this moment, is what school is for. And, you know, and the work that Connie and I do in particular around the portraits of Americans who tell the truth is to provide young people in schools with models of people who solved problems before. And because, you know, when you're trying to invent these things by yourself, it's, it's a lot easier if you have a lot of models of people who've done it before you and, um, and can help you um, uh, in terms of your, your, your spiritual and uh, intellectual engagement with those problems. That's lovely and a great introduction. I'm gonna actually ask you to step back. We're gonna step into your work from that question. I really appreciate that framing. And I think I could just pull that part to share with a lot of new teachers coming in to the profession to remind them that there's a bigger picture than the day-to-day -day details I can get caught up in. But um, I wanna talk about Americans Who Tell the Truth and the upcoming Samantha Smith Challenge. And I wanna start, Robert, by you telling us about the portraits. So years ago, you started an art project, maybe you wouldn't call it an art and a um, civic action project called Painting Portraits of People Who Tell the Truth. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about um, the origin of that project and where it is today. Sure, Danny, I'd love to. It was, it, I started a project 21 years ago that I did not want to do. This was not my goal as an artist, but you know, as I suggested before, we don't choose the times we live in. And I was being overwhelmed in the wake of 9-11 that our government was starting to propagandize for a war against Iraq, which was never should have been fought. I mean, it was basically a, a war crime. And I was so disturbed that this was happening and being allowed to happen that I, and, and disturbed that I was a citizen of this country was made, being made to feel complicit uh, in the um, run up to this war, the, the drumbeat, the lies, the, the ferocity of the anger and, and fear that were being generated. I thought, how can I, not be complicit in this. And there's no way really to fully escape complicity, but I could feel less alienated from this country and what it was doing. I thought if I started to surround myself with a different community of Americans, instead of ranting about the ones who were disturbing me so much and lying about the reasons for war, well, what if I linked arms with Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony and, and Jane Addams and Elizabeth Cady Stanton um, and, Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks, et cetera, et cetera. What if I did that, you know, created that community by painting their portraits? 
And at first it began as a, a therapy project. I had the, the idea of painting 50 portraits. I'd never painted a portrait in my life. And, uh, and I would paint these portraits and I would scratch a quote from each person into the surface of that portrait. So it was very clear um, in a sense what they stood for for me. And also that I would make this a real art project. It wasn't gonna be just a, like a characterization, a, a caricature, a cartoon of a person. It was going to be an attempt to aspire to real art, to try to use the art to, to search out and then display something about their integrity, their courage, their idealism, uh, their perseverance. And then, as I said, it began really as therapy. I just wanted to do this for myself to feel at home in this country. And um, it gradually, when I started to show the paintings, it became a whole different thing. And there's a lot more to the story than that, but it became something that began to travel, to go to schools, to colleges, to churches, to museums um, all over the country. And I was you know, trotting along after it, talking about what I'd learned in this process. And now there are over 260 portraits. Uh, they um, are in demand all the time. I think there are five or six shows going on right now in different places in the country. Um, and it's become, as Connie will tell you, about our educational work. And it's, it's been thrilling, actually. What I, you know, and I'll talk about this later. Anyway, that's the, the basic theme. Before I ask Connie about um, the educational part, who, what is the last, most recent portrait you painted, Robert? Oh, how wonderful you asked that question. Uh, I was in, in just outside of Philadelphia recently at a, at a school, and some people there showed me a video of a man named John Alston, who's a music professor at Swarthmore, a black professor in jazz and choral conducting. And he, um, in, in this video, it showed that uh, and told his story that he, when he arrived at Swarthmore, he decided to, which is you know, a very well-to-do place in a well-to-do neighborhood, that he became aware that there over in Chester, Connecticut, which was right next door, there was basically a very poor black ghetto where, you know, with all those accoutrements, you know, uh, broken schools, broken families, drugs, crime, poor schools, you know, all that stuff. And he decided to go there and start a children's chorus. And it's been going for almost 30 years now, which he, these kids in this chorus sing beautiful music extremely well everything from classic to pop. And they have, their lives have been changed and the community's lives have been changed by the, the, um, the rigor and the joy with which they have learned to sing. Their expectations of who they are and what they can achieve have been changed. Mm -hmm. And to see that the, another art form doing what Connie and I try to do with this project and yeah. doing it extremely well. And uh, also with a kind of, you know, Richard mentioned that word humble, with a kind of humility, which is so beautiful in this case, uh, stunned me. And I immediately wanted to get in touch with John Alston. And, um, and I've just finished painting his portrait and we're working right now on the, the quote that'll go on it. And sometime in the next month or two, we will do an event in 
out, you know, somewhere near Swarthmore, probably, mm -hmm. uh, to unveil his portrait and to use the portrait to honor his work. Now, I'm so glad I asked you that question. Thank you. Connie, um, uh, you got involved with Robert's uh, Americans to Tell the Truth project as an educator, helping to think about how this wealth of portraits might be used in educational settings. Can you tell us a little bit about that side of the work? Yes. Um, and first of all, I would say you have to go listen to the I Can't Breathe song and bring your box of tissues with you. Um, okay because it's pretty amazing. I think, um, well, I got involved. I was teaching at Orono High School and I had started a program there called Operation Breaking Stereotypes that focuses, Richard, on a lot of what you said about diversity and helping people understand difference and the real and kind of created um, barriers that we put to getting to know each other. And so we were connecting students between Maine and New York City um, for short-term exchanges. And one of the exchanges that was happening when the New York City students were at Orono and Rob happened to be there with his portraits um, for a civil rights program that the school was doing. And I just saw the portraits as he was walking out the door. And I thought, I need to use these for these students to able to talk to them about some of the journeys that these people have gone on. And Rob being Rob, I said, would you mind if I kept these for a few extra days to share them with the students I'm working with? And he said, sure, you can just bring them back to my house and leave them on the porch when you're done. I'm like, oh my word. <laughs> um, but, but I did. Um, and they were a great entry into helping students see people that are just like them, not heroes, not people that are on pedestals, but everyday humans who see an issue that is of concern to them. You know, like Samantha Smith, who said, I don't want to be bombed by the Soviet Union and took one little step. And so it was a great way to help students see that they could take one step that might lead to another step that might lead to another step that would lead to being able to change an issue that was really um, troubling them. And so I worked with, quote unquote, using Rob and the portraits as part of our Operation Breaking Stereotypes program. And then I think I just wouldn't go away. So he said, would you like to be our education director, which I now am and have the real privilege and joy of sharing these portraits with many more students and helping them understand how they can look around themselves and see issues that are troubling to them and how they can take that one little step and go forward. So it's, and, and to also think, and especially in these days, what does it mean to be a truth teller? What is that? What are the qualities of a truth teller and what does it mean to tell the truth? Mm -hmm. That's how I got here. That's a great story and a little shocking about the way you treat those paintings, Robert. <laughs> Um, and now Americans Who Tell the Truth um, have a an annual challenge for students called the Samantha Smith Challenge. As a person who grew up in Maine in the 1980s, I'd love it, Robert or Connie, if you tell our audience who didn't all have that privilege um, who Samantha Smith is. Go, Rob. 
It's all okay. you. <laughs> well, Samantha, Samantha Smith was the little girl who grew up in, in the um, in Maine, as you said, and lived in Manchester, Maine, which is near the the uh, capital, Augusta. And in the 19, early 1980s, she was terrified of the Cold War. And uh, when they switched premieres one year uh, to Yuri on Dropoff, and everybody asked a question, is, is this the man who will push the button? Uh, she was terrified. And, and uh, she asked her mother to write a letter to uh, Yuri on Dropoff, asking him why he might want to blow up Americans and what would be accomplished by that. And lo and behold, uh, you know, as, as Connie said, you know, what's so interesting about this and, and what we try to do with this project is, is get people to take a step. I mean, she wrote a letter uh, asking a, a question. She never expected a response and she never expected everything that would happen, but she needed to engage the question in some, you know, physical way. Mm -hmm. And she did. And there's a lot of pieces to this story, but basically, you know, they wrote, he wrote back to her and invited her and her family to come to the Soviet Union and find out that the Russians didn't actually want war at that time, that they had, you know, their country had been devastated by the Second World War, over 20 million people killed, their, their cities destroyed, and they knew war. And so, and then the next step was required of Samantha. It wasn't just, you know, having written the letter, now she was gonna go to a country it was our enemy and she didn't speak their language and you know think of the the uh, the courage that that took which was much bigger than writing a letter she went she became i mean the, the, in the process this little 11 year old girl became a, a spokesman for how to make peace in the world mm -hmm. and one of the points that we make about this is, is is how important it is that young people do these things because often the, the voices of young people are the things that can actually change situations in the world because of the clarity with which they feel and think and state, you know, what the, what the real issues are. So this little girl was actually changing the, you know, the, the, the context of the Cold War um, by teaching adults how to think about making peace. You know, the person with the courage to speak up becomes the teacher. And so the, this case, the 11 year old girl was now the teacher. We find this with many of the young people whose portraits are painted in Americans Who Tell the Truth, that they become our teachers. Mm -hmm. And that's why this project is, is we basically are encouraging other young people to take on the projects or the issues that they're most concerned about and become our teachers. You know, step into those projects, find people who are working on them with you, uh, find what they're doing, get engaged, and then do it yourself and uh, you know, help other people uh, change also. If, if I could add just a couple thoughts yeah. to that idea, I think it's so important. I, we started the Samantha Smith Challenge with middle school students and now it's middle school and high school. But I think sometimes people felt, or even middle school kids themselves felt like, they didn't have any power. They had no voice. They had no way to change things that they saw around them that needed to be changed. And I think just going in and finding teachers and educators that believed that these students did have a voice and could make a change and make a difference is such a, uh, I guess, uplifting to me and really a, a powerful way to think about education. Yeah. 
Um, I'm going to, I'm going to skip a question, Connie, about how to get involved with Samantha Smith. Sure. I feel like building on the story about Samantha Smith is a great place, Richard. Um, you, I asked you to join us in this conversation today because um, it just happened that you sent me an article a couple of weeks ago that you'd been working on um, entitled Becoming People Who Make a Difference. Um, and that article tells a story about a project you worked on with a second grade teacher. And um, it's so connected to me to the Americans Who Tell the Truth work and the Samantha Smith Challenge and the, the portraits of young people you worked with that are in that article really remind me of Samantha Smith. So I was wondering if you might want to tell us a little bit about that project. I would love to. Thank you for the invitation. And and I everything you just said, Tanya, is is so right on the mark for me, which is I so hope the work that I've been doing with this becoming people who make a difference is a is almost like something that fits just naturally under the umbrella of the work that uh, Robert and Connie have been talking about. And I would just like to to say, if I haven't already said it, and I may say it again, um, I'm really honored to be uh, connected to Robert and Connie in this conversation. And I, I am so deeply appreciative of their work. And I really think if uh, education classes at universities and then the work of teacher planning at schools would begin with a thorough uh, meandering through and study of this site, uh, Americans Who Tell the Truth, I think American education would be in great hands. If people would just come to this site and learn from it and use it for their design, I think American education would be in great hands. And so I did this little project with a group of second graders and a second grade teacher, because I'm I'm always almost always working with schools and kids. And one of the things I like about it, by the way, is I think the Samantha Smith challenge is a middle school and high school challenge. Um, and this, and because I'm working with second graders here, I'm kind of hoping it could also, we can think of it, you know, people who are listening to this program can think of it as also a challenge for me if I'm an elementary teacher. So, so the teacher, and I'm a project-based learning uh, person at heart. And that is also, of course, what the site talks about, Americans Who Tell the Truth, uh, project-based learning and service learning and such. Um, and so uh, we designed this project-based learning experience for these second graders called Becoming People Who Make a Difference. Um, and uh, we used a quote by Freire, <laughs> uh, and, and I sometimes do this even with kids, and, and, it, and, and it had to do with the students need to ask the questions. If the teachers are asking, are answering questions that haven't been asked, then we have what John Dewey would call education leading to ennui. <laughs> that was the way Dewey <laughs> talked about it. Uh, and what we need is engagement and choice and power in the hands of students, and then we need to coach them. So we 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 delivered, I think, a really rich opportunity for them, first of all, to choose anyone from uh, history or current times who had made a difference. And by that, we meant they had helped others in some important way. They had opened up an opportunity for people that hadn't existed before. They advanced freedom uh, and the ability for people to choose and do uh, in some important way. So with uh, at a second grade level, the way we would put that is, this needs to not just be a famous person. <laughs> it is a person who has made a difference. And so they got to use you know, media, 
we we had we helped them find books and so forth. So they had a rich opportunity to learn about the person. They wrote a report. They gave an oral report to their classmates. They then were asked and invited and required to write a letter, a persuasive letter, to somebody or some group in the world, uh, and they would tell that somebody about the person they'd studied and what it was important to know about the difference that person made. And then they would make a direct request of the person to whom they were writing that might help this work continue in the world. So I've studied uh, Malala. This is what she did. Uh, and, and this is what I hope you will do to help her work continue in the world, to help girls become educated, to help both genders have opportunity. This is what I hope you will do. And many of them got replies to their letter uh, General Milley replied to the to the girl who wrote about Princess Diana and getting rid of landmines and uh, um, the uh, research, the medical researchers at the University of Pittsburgh replied to the boy who had written to them about Lou Gehrig and Lou Gehrig's disease about how they were, they were indeed working on the disease, and they thought maybe one day he might be able to join them in, in that work and so it was just rich and rewarding all this time. I, I, I think I should admit that I didn't know about the work of Robert and Connie. And so it was like there I was uh, in rural uh, Allegheny County uh, working on, the, uh, on inventing the light bulb, not knowing <laughs> the light bulb had been invented in Maine, uh, you know, many years before. Uh, but but I, I happily, cheerfully, and, and with love uh, connect this work to theirs in any way possible, and uh, uh, and in the future, uh, they're among my uh, most sincere guides. So uh, you know, Whitney Whitney is also quoted uh, in an epigraph at the beginning of this piece that I've written, and it's just a simple statement. And Whitney says, "Even young kids like me can make a difference." Yeah, and I feel like that's uh, that that told me we had succeeded. Yeah, I, I loved reading about that story. I loved reading the examples of the kids' reports, but it was the letters that um, I think really make the, make the project. And it was interesting that that was the part that the teacher was a little bit balking at, like, that's, I gotta help them find an audience for this and it's hard and I don't know what it'll be like, um, but it's a lovely piece of work, Richard, with, um, 10 year olds and, or eight or nine year olds. And I would love to now talk about um, the lovely work that uh, middle school and high school students do when they get connected to the Samantha Smith Challenge. It used to only be available to students in Maine, but through your work, Rob and Connie, you've opened that challenge to people around the country. So Connie, could you, um, tell people a little bit about the challenge and how they could get involved. Great, I'd love to. Thanks, Tanya. And Richard, please have those second graders sign up for the Samantha Smith Challenge. I think they'd fit right in. <laughs> um, so basically, um, the idea behind the Samantha Smith Challenge, and it is all on the Americans Who Tell the Truth website, Samantha Smith Challenge, is for students as a, either as a class or many teachers approach it that they let each student in their class pick an issue or small groups of students pick an issue, but to look around them and see something that they feel needs to be changed for the better um, and something that will 
improve the life of the common good. And students have chosen all sorts of things, they've looked at climate, they've looked at homelessness, they've looked at diversity issues, they've looked at animal um, cruelty. So there's uh, no end to the topics that people can choose. And choose that, identify what that issue is, do some research about what is exactly happening currently with that. And if it's possible to connect with some community stakeholders, people in their communities, either locally or maybe, maybe you know, nationally, um, if that's, then that's one of the things that we can facilitate is having them connect with a truth teller portrait who might have dealt with their topic. Um, and then to think about what an action step would be and what they could do to move this issue closer to being something um, that will benefit all of us and to use the creative arts to deliver that message. So some students have done artwork, some students have done short videos, some students have written music um, and some people, you know, are creative art is writing a letter to an editor or writing a letter to somebody that they think will be able to um, implement some change in some way. And so that's kind of the process that people go through. And then once students have done that, we bring people together. And this year it's gonna be exciting because we have students from all over the country joining us um, to celebrate what they've done. Um, Rob will us usually box a little bit and then talks about a portrait subject or unveils a new portrait um, for the group of students to see, and they get to hear what they have all done also, so that there begins to be some communication and understanding that, oh my gosh, somebody in Nebraska is working on climate change the way I'm working on climate change. And um, so it just builds that momentum and energy, I think, to have them go forward. And I just want to share one quick little story about a group of students who um, several years ago started working on a project around homelessness and their community and they did it to get a good grade they basically said you know okay we want we're a students we want to get a's and they did that the first year and then the second year they decided that they would take on this they'd pick up where they left off they were seventh graders moving into eighth grade and um and th that year they said whoa this is really important. We're gonna give up our lunch hour. We're giving up our free time. We don't need to go to recess. We just need to come together and work on this issue. So I think sometimes it's a building block that gets kids involved in moving forward. Yeah, that's so true, I think. Um, I've written down like every time somebody said, just take a step or what's one thing or how do, you know, like how much this isn't about you know, being a hero or the thing. It's just like taking one step or or choosing to spend your time, as Robert said at the beginning, with with people who make you feel like you're on the right path or you're doing something good. Um, Richard and Connie, I wonder if we might briefly say um, one word of advice to a teacher who might want to get involved in this, but hasn't ever really done project-based learning or um, this kind of work, who's been kind of a curriculum, maybe works in a curriculum-driven school or a standards-driven school where this is kind of work isn't common. What, what would help a teacher take on a, a work like, some kind of work like this? Um, Richard, do you want to go first? Sure. <clears throat> and I think it's a good question, but it 
it's maybe a hard question too. Yeah. Um, and no, a good hard question. It's a question <laughs> that needs to be addressed. First of all, yes. And as I was suggesting just a little bit ago, this is my wish that people would engage with this kind of work. And this is, and should I get the opportunity to do it? I, I wanna to continue to be in a position that's persuasive, trying to help teachers do this work. And I do think something that uh, Robert has been saying that I think is so important is that anybody who's done something is a model. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's done something is a teacher. Uh, and uh, uh, I know that the, uh, and, and the portraits, I think, just serve that purpose so powerfully. And I'm not surprised that they're being displayed in so many places and being made such good use of. So, and the same with, of course, in a smaller way with my uh, becoming a person who makes a difference. So in other words, use models, use models of bring in the stories of people who have taken steps uh, and, and let those speak and have, and, and have their power. Uh, I, I would, and also, uh, um, if there are two parts of this that are critical, uh, one part I would say is student choice. The students must get a chance to choose at least some, what they're going to especially study or the part of the question that they're especially going to think about or the piece that they're going to especially work on, just those kinds of choices. And then the second part is an authentic connection to the world in the end. So we're going to produce something. We're going to have a symposium, or we're going to have a special night of celebration and sharing, or we're going to write persuasive letters, as my second graders did. We're going to do something that will reach out beyond our classroom to make an authentic connection to the world. And it is not so hard to do this. Um, I, have, I have so many times worked with young writers in schools, and we have simply uh, made a class magazine at the end invited the parents and all their friends into a celebration of writing night where the students read their work into a microphone and they were celebrated. And that's very public and, and authentic, just that in itself. And beyond, and, and so those are some steps people can take. And I think if, if you work with models and you involve choice and you just, I tell students on the first day of this kind of work, your work is going to be considered important and we're gonna take it out to the world in this way. Mm -hmm. So the second graders knew the first day that they were ultimately going to write a letter uh, and, and, uh, and that it would be shared with real people in the world. And I think choice helps students become engaged and the authentic connection to the world helps them want to do the work hard and well. And so those are big keys. But and, and uh, as far as the circumstance goes, we live in a time, of course, when books are being banned and talking about certain things are being banned. And, and in a way, I think this is Bob Moses, the great civil rights leader, would talk about crawl spaces, <clears throat> finding spaces where you can still do your work. And I think the kind of work that we three are talking about today, much of it could be done without ruffling the feathers of the school because they want you to learn about research. They want you to learn about writing uh, persuasively uh, and, and critically in the world. And that's what these things are involved with most especially. And so I think uh, people want, want your students to be doing the research paper and this can be done under the headline of the research paper in a way that may not uh, cause the trouble that some other steps might take. However, ultimately I have two pieces of philosophical advice and one is please Please keep in mind as we do this work, 
that the mind will make us aware of the problems and the heart knows the answers. Mm. Heart knows the answers. And also know that there will be a moment when courage is required. There'll be a moment when courage is required. And if you, if, you, if you don't feel like you're ready to lose your job on that particular day, maybe you can retreat from the battlefield on that particular day and, and reorganize and, and re-prepare. Um, but Isabel Wilkerson creates this portrait uh, in words at the beginning of the book, Cast. She, she pictures a group of Germans in a room in about 1939, and every one of them has their hand raised in Heil Hitler, except for one person off to the side who has a hard expression on his face and who won't participate. And she asks us to think about the courage of that person. And I, I, I think we live in a time in our country when we need, to, we need to ask ourselves, how close can I come to being that person? Thank you, Richard. That was a lot of advice. <laughs> yes, it was. Sorry about that. Connie, how about you? Do you have any advice for teachers who are oh, like, mm, this feels like I'm jumping off, you know, the high well, diving board? First of all, I just want to say, Richard, what beautiful words and thoughts and, you know, the mind and heart and courage link is pretty incredible. But I do think, especially now after the last three years of a pandemic and where teachers have been asked to accommodate in so many ways and you know, they're in class, they're in person, they're home, they're on Zoom, they're hybrid, and that educators are pretty tired, I believe, and, and then put on top of that, that they're also being, you know, told that they can't teach this and they can't teach this book and whatever. So I guess my kind of nitty gritty approach to teachers right now is that doing something like the Samantha Smith Challenge or embracing the work that Richard's doing or just the work of Americans Who Tell the Truth is only taking a little step. It's like what, we're, what Samantha did. It's saying, okay, you have all these standards that you have to meet and the content that you have to teach. And as you teach that, just ask students to think about how does that connect to your world today? And it's a really tiny little step to do a project and be a project-based learning situation or service learning or something. And it doesn't have to be this major um, issue that, that teachers feel like, oh my God, I've got to change my whole curriculum now. They don't. They can start with you know, one small thing that they're teaching as content. And as Richard said, you know, everything we're doing requires students to learn how to do research, how to write, how to think, how to do, you know, how to embrace science in a way that's really important. So I think it's just trying to get teachers to not be afraid that, and not to feel like this is an overwhelming chore that they have to do. This is something that will probably in the long run lighten their load. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Connie. Um, we're really um, near the end of the hour, but I want to say I've, it's been a, um, an, as I said at the top of the hour, I knew it would be an honor and a privilege to spend this hour with people I know to be making a difference in the world. And I'd like you to have an opportunity to say, give voice to some of that difference um, for yourselves, but also for our listeners to really, um, as Richard said, 
like be in the presence of models of people who get up in the morning and, and take a step. So um, Robert, you as an artist, you made a decision some years ago to put into the world work that makes a difference by honoring people who tell the truth. When you reflect on the work you've done since that time, since after 9-11 and the 260 plus portraits, what difference um, has that made or do you wish for that work as it goes out in the world? Thank you, but first let me just quickly say how much I mean, I, I didn't know Richard and I have so much appreciated the language he's used to describe the way he thinks about education. And it, it works so well with what we do. You know, when he talks about, you know, the questions coming from the students, the passion coming from the students, um, you know, the, uh, the creativity coming from the students, that is exactly what we want. You know, and we want, because that's the way you engage kids. I mean, that's when they really learn is when all that energy is is self-generated. And we just wanna, you know, see if we can direct that, all that great energy into doing things that are gonna really matter in their own lives uh, going forward. But this, you know, the, the Americans to Tell the Truth for me has one, it totally changed my life. And it's made it possible for me to live through all of this last 20 years in a way, because it's given, as Connie said at the beginning, it's given me a kind of hope and gives other people hope that there are these people of courage around us and, and which could be any of us. And we can do these things, we can solve these problems, we can tell the stories to each other about what these are. And that makes an enormous difference. And I just wanted to quickly tell one story which illustrates that. There's, there's a portrait in the collection of Claudette Colvin, who was in, in 1955, nine months before Rosa Parks, she's a 15 year old black girl from a black high school, separate but unequal high school you know, who sat on a bus in Montgomery and refused to move, just like Rosa Parks, except she hadn't been trained to do anything like that. She was just fed up. And, you know, years later, she was asked by journalists, well, Claudia, what in the world were you thinking? You knew, you should have known, and I'm sure she knew, how incredibly dangerous that was in 1955 to not do what white people told you to do. I mean, you, you could be killed, your house could be bombed, your school could be bombed, anything could happen. And she said, I actually wanted to be, I wanted to move. I tried to get up and I felt Harriet Tubman's hand on my shoulder, pushing me back down. She said, I tried to get up again and I felt Sojourner Truth's hand on my shoulder, pushing me back down. And I had to ask myself then, what would they do? And there was no question about what they would do. They would not move. And she said, history glued me to my seat. And, you know, that's exactly what this project is about, is to give people, especially young people, models of, of courage that they can use when they're up against, you know, whether it's just dealing with a bully in the hallway or trying to solve some problem in the world, that there are these people who've got your back, you know, that whose community you want to be part of. Who will give you the courage as you know and, and i'm glad richard brought that word up because i often quote william sloan coffin about courage he said without courage there are no other virtues and that's where it all begins is the, the courage to stand up for yourself for other people for the things that you believe in and if we can teach that to kids 
in school, model that behavior. You know, the world can change by that. Thank you. Connie and Richard, as educators, you've also worked across your whole careers to make a difference. When you reflect on your careers, I can ask this question a number of ways. What do they mean to you? What difference have you made so far? Or you could talk about being in the presence of other educators. How do you recognize a classroom that's making a difference? Or what advice would you want to give to a new teacher who's coming in at these hard times? You can probably not answer all of them, but any one of them, I would love for you to say something about the work of educators making a difference. Um, Connie, do you want to go first? Sure. I think I would go back to what I started with, which is the belief in human potential. Mm -hmm. And I guess as an, I started as an educator working with blind and visually impaired, and that was such a wake-up call for me to realize that I didn't need to feel sorry for somebody that had lost their vision or couldn't see that I needed to recognize their potential and they were, you know, had as much potential as I have. And um, so that was kind of my first wake up call. And then I think as I've moved through my education career, working in service learning and working with um, across lines of perceived and real difference that um, I, I, again, see the importance of teachers walking into a classroom and educators walking into a classroom and not seeing the problems, not seeing the hurdles that they have to get over, but seeing the potential and being ready to unleash that in really wonderful ways. And I, one of the projects I've been working on um, with Americans Who Tell the Truth is called Speaking Truths to Youth. And it's um, recorded video interviews on our website with some of the living portrait subjects, asking them what in their youth caused them to become activists and what continues to guide them. And every time I do one of those interviews, I expect to go into it hearing this kind of maybe angry person at what's happened in the world. And, um, and I realize I come out of those interviews feeling like, oh my word, they love humanity. And that's why they're doing this. And it's the love that fosters and fuels their activism. And, um, that's just an inspiration to me and something that I hope educators can feel like the love of what they're doing to move students forward and open their eyes to great things. Thank you, Connie. And um, Richard? Yeah, thank you. Um, first of all, what, what Robert and Connie just said should, uh, I feel like I want to let it stand, you know, let it sit. Uh, but I will speak, hopefully, uh, somewhat briefly. Um, I, I happen to be in touch with quite a few of my former students through the corrupt medium of Facebook and other, other forums like that. And, and uh, African-American studies is a secondary specialization for me. I've written monographs for the National Association of African-American Studies and so forth. And I got to teach a, a class on the civil rights movement, like every year for quite a long time. And, and I think that the, the questions we choose to ask and that we can help people learn to ask can make such a big difference. And so for example, the fundamental question of that class on the civil rights movement for the students was, uh, what can we learn from the civil rights movement to help us address and be successful with uh, issues of difference in our society today? What can we learn? So, uh, and, uh, uh, 
I like that kind of, and, and, I, and I think that project-based learning can benefit especially from a kind of moral question uh, and not, be, not shying away from it. So for example, the question, what ought we to do? That would be another way to talk about that. So we've learned a lot by the end of the course about the civil rights movement and how, how they did the work they did and what they thought they learned. What ought we to do today to honor that work and to learn from that work? And if you just ask those kinds of questions, I think you start to get a, a different kind of, of learning going on. Um, and so uh, as far as uh, making a difference, I think maybe I would just say that's, how, that's one of the ways I hope to make a difference is by asking those kinds of questions that invite us to think about how to be better people in the world today based on what we've been learning. I could spend the rest of my day quite happily talking to all three of you. I so appreciate your work and your company um, and your good examples. So thank you so much. I want to close by making sure everybody knows where you are and what they should do next. So um, Richard, um, I would love if you would just tell people about your book that's in publication where they could spend more time understanding how you work with second graders and maybe if you want how they could reach you. Sure. Um, well, I have a 2020 book called The Mindful Writing Workshop, uh, Teaching in the Age of Stress and Trauma. And it's basically, and it's really intended to be for K-12 educators. Uh, and it is intended to help educators uh, uh, develop some methods for helping students to be safe uh, and for incorporating uh, restorative responses to students in a circumstance where we might otherwise have judgmental responses. So this student is not doing the work. <laughs> what can I do that might be restorative for that student as opposed to simply a punishment? So the book is focused on that. And of course, people can buy the book. It's not expensive, The Mindful Writing Workshop. And I have a website, the mindful, mindfulwritingworkshop.net. Um, and then email that, I, that uh, you know, rkoch at adrian.edu. Uh, and so those would be ways to be in touch with me. And thank you very much, Tanya. Thank you. And Connie, if people are inspired, and how could they not be, if people are inspired to join the Samantha Smith Challenge, how can they do it? And when do they have to do it by to be involved this year? So to join the challenge, they can go on the website, www.americanswhotellthetruth.org and click on education and that'll take them to the Samantha Smith challenge. They can register. Registration deadline is February 15th, but that has a little bit of flexibility. If people need a little bit more time, I would say they can take another week or whatever to think through things. So, um, and if the people have questions, I can be reached at Connie at americanswhotellthetruth.org. Great. And Robert, um, if those portraits aren't in my town right now, there are ways I can see them, right? So could you tell me a little <laughs> bit about that? Definitely. Besides the portrait gallery on the website, uh, there are two new books, uh, one called Portraits of Racial Justice and the other Portraits of Earth Justice, each one Americans Who Tell the Truth. And they're full of, each one has 50 portraits and 50 biographies and essays by people in the in the portraits themselves, and they they're beautiful books, and they I think um, 
Uh, could could really tell the story of what what this is all about. Uh, you all are so amazing and lovely. Thank you so much, listeners. Thank you for spending the hour with us. And if you have been inspired by this, definitely go find the Mindful Writing Workshop, go sign up for the Samantha Smith Challenge, or just go to Americans Who Tell the Truth and look at the lovely portraits and all of the great educational ideas that are there. And if you are looking for other people to talk to about this, please join us at the National Writing Project. You could join us in the teacher studio at studio.nwp.org, where teachers, there are more than 5,000 teachers talking about education in ways um, that help us to help young people become people who tell the truth and make a difference. Thank you, everybody. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.